welcome to the Conversation of Money podcast, where this year we are sharing 52 financial tips to transform your finances. So if you want to be better at managing your money, you want to pay off debt, you want to buy your first home, or you want to learn about investing and where to invest, how to begin, this is the podcast for you. I'm your host, Peter Komalafe, and I'm so thrilled to have you here. So without further delay, let's get into this week's episode. Good evening, everybody, and welcome to this podcast episode, which, to say the least, is late in its arrival and late in its purposing. And that is my fault. I apologize. But I launched this podcast back on January the 19th, and I was fresh from Thailand after going there for Christmas and New Year's. And whilst I was out there, I had a plan of what this year was going to be with regards to the content I want to deliver via conversation of money. It was all about 52 financial tips. And originally, everything was going to be video-based because, you know, people interacting, being able to see your face has always been a thing that I believe in because people buy people. And I think with a visual medium, you get a better sense of who is conveying the message to you, um, more so than perhaps vocally, as, as it were. But I had a conversation with a friend and he said, you should definitely rip the audio from the videos and put that into a podcast. And when I got back from Thailand, the first two episodes, because they were done at resort, there was a lot of background noise. I didn't upload those to this podcast. And that's why you're missing weeks one to three. And the first episode on January the 19th was basically tip number four. Um, but I ripped that audio because I wanted it to live on the podcast. And I'm, I'm pleased to say that you guys have been amazing in terms of your listening to this and people actually engaging with the content. I mean, I was looking at some of the metrics uh, yesterday and I've had listeners listening to this podcast in the Seychelles. And that to me is absolutely amazing. I mean, who listens to a podcast in the Seychelles? You're probably on your holiday. And if if you are uh, the two listeners or one of the two listeners that listened out in the Se- in the Seychelles, I would love to know who you are. Please do reach out to me on Instagram. But ever since, I've been very, very cognizant in the fact that you guys have not had a formal introduction to the podcast. You guys have not had a formal introduction to what this is all about, to who is actually bringing you this content and what I hope that you guys will get from the podcast as listeners. So I wanted to do that today in what will be episode nine of this podcast. I know very, very late, but purposeful nonetheless. So without further ado, I thought I want, I thought I'd just proceed very quickly and spend some time talking about what this podcast is all about and perhaps give you a little bit of background about me. Um, I'm always very, very conscious. I've been doing this now on social media for over a year. I started Conversation of Money in January of 2019. And over the last 12 months, what I have found is that there are a lot of financial commentators out there. And when you specifically look at the social media space specifically, there is always an ulterior motive in regards to courses or something that they're trying to sell you. And Above that, there is also this element of content just being put out there 
for the sake of content being put out there. And Instagram is particularly dangerous in my view. Why? Because I believe, and I speak about this all the time, that on Instagram, there is a lot of content, but there is no context to the content. And I believe that context is really important. Why? There are number of posts that I see on a regular basis, which constantly and consistently encourage people to invest. You must see them yourselves. It's invested in stocks, dividend stocks will give you an income of X over X period of time. And these posts lack the context around what you need to do before you can get to the point of actually investing in stocks, let alone dividend stocks. They skip the part and the context about the fact that you need capital to be able to do that. And they skip the context around, it's not just about being invested in the markets for the sake of being invested in the markets. You need to understand why you're there because your why will drive the strategy that you employ in regards to the returns that you seek. Some people will say, well, Pete, you invest in the market to get a better return. And that's very, very true. However, what level of return do you want? Do you want a 3% return? Do you want a 10% return? Are you really bullish? And do you want a 15% return? Because depending on the answer to that question, then your investment strategy will be very, very different. And these are the nuances in this subject matter that is lacking on Instagram because the content often lacks context. And that is my main driver to provide context to all of the content that I put out here, either via the podcast on YouTube or on social media using Instagram specifically. So going back slightly, I wanted to talk you guys through my journey so far. And I think it's relevant because as I said, there are lots of financial commentators out there in social media land. And I know that there are a multitude of us here in podland, in pod, podcast, let me get my teeth back in, in podcast universe. So why should you pay attention to what I have to say over and above the next person? I'm a firm believer that you put out energy in the world, into the world, and you get back identical energy. I'm a big believer in karma in that sense. I'm all about positivity. And I certainly believe that, you know, if I want to forge a career doing this specifically, and I have a career of my own right now in financial services, then the more that I can help people, the better brand I can build for myself. And that is my overarching goal. I want to change the way 25 to 45 year olds interact with the financial services industry. Why? Because I have witnessed and seen so much in 15 years working in financial services, particularly in wealth management over the last seven, eight years that fills me with dread. And it fills me with dread because when you look at the age groups of 25 to 45, the wealth management industry, the banks, some financial advisory firms, and this is a bold statement for me to make, being an industry insider, don't care about that age group because there is the perception that that age group do not have money. I have worked for large wealth management companies that simply only cater to the 50 plus year olds. Why? Because these are the guys who are of that generation, they're baby boomers, 
And through the years, through property price increases, through the market growth over the last 20, 25, 30 years, I've accumulated wealth. And they are the clients that they target because they want to manage their money. And that's where they make their money from. And in doing so, what is happening is that they are creating a vacuum of misinformation, of a lack of information, lack of attention in the age groups between 25 to 45. And that is something that I cannot abide by because during my career in financial services, I wasn't always the best with money. And I think of myself fortunate in the fact that I only know what I know about money now because I have worked in financial services. If I didn't have my career, my finances would be an absolute mess. I would not know what my retirement in the future would look like. I would not understand the basics behind money management, the basics behind having healthy financial habits, the basics behind investing money and understanding the principles of inflation and compound interest. These are all things that we should learn at school, but unfortunately do not learn at school. And it is a failing of our education system. So when I say that I want to change the way 25 to 45 year olds interact with financial services, what I mean is I want to create a new paradigm where the 25 and the 45 year olds and everyone in between has the equal level of service made available to them as the guys who are currently 55 and over, where all of the wealth management companies are clamoring to see them, clamoring for their business, clamoring for their attention. I want to create that for the 25 to 45 year olds. Now, when I started my career in financial services, I certainly was not good at money. In fact, my first job was as a cashier in a building society called Portman. This is down in Eastbourne, East Sussex. And I went for this job interview because at the time I was jobless. I was on benefits. And as part of being signed on to the benefit system, you had to go to job interviews. You had to be seen as being active in looking for work. And this job came up via the job center. And I was told to go to this interview because I had to go because otherwise they would stop my benefit. Now, truth be told, back then, working for a bank was still a prestigious career. It was something that you wanted to go into and was almost a job for life. This is way before the financial crash of 2007, 2008. So back then, you had to have a good credit rating. You had to have good credit history. You couldn't be poor with money and work in a bank. And I was really poor with money. I used to bounce checks. I tried to get credit cards, but had really bad credit. But I knew what I was going to do with the credit card. I was going to be irresponsible with the credit card because let's face it, my parents are poor. My com I come from a poor background. My parents are Nigerian. I spent 10 years out in Nigeria. I have seen both sides of the coin. I have seen the abundance that many people have here in the country, certainly clients that I've worked with in the past as a financial advisor, people that I've interacted with, people that I've come across in my career in wealth management. And I've seen that side of the coin. And I've also seen the flip side of the coin when in our household, we're four boys, 
And we did not know when our next meal was coming from. We did not have running water. We did not have electric. I've seen both sides of that coin. So when you think about working in a bank, for me at that point in time and being responsible with money, I had no footing to be responsible with money. I did not know what money was. I remember when I was younger in Nigeria because I did my secondary school education out there. And this is the root of why I was so poor with money. I figured out after so many years that it was a tradition in Nigeria that when you had family members or guests come around, that the guests leave you money. And we had guests that would come around our house infrequently. And every single time they would give me money. They might give me the currency in Nigeria is, is Naira. And they might give me 20 Naira or 10 Naira. And bearing in mind, I'm in my teens then. I'm 14, 15, 16 at this point in time. And every time I would get given money, because we were so poor as a household, my mum would take the money from me because that would go towards our food bill. And what that basically meant was that when I got back over to this country in 1988, I was born here in 79. I got back here in 1988. Or was it 98? 88, 88, um, I had no concept of money whatsoever. Like up until then, uh, my parents took every single penny that I ever had from me. So when I got into the situation of actually earning my own money, I didn't understand the principles of budgeting. I didn't understand money management in any shape or form. So I would earn money, I would spend it, I would go out and buy things that I wanted because guess what? Back then in Nigeria, we, I, 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 I worked on hand-me-downs for my brothers, for my older brothers. I'm the last of four boys. So I got hand-me-downs. It's very, very rare that I got something brand new. So when I started earning money, I went to go buy all the stuff that, I, that I'd seen in rap videos back then because I followed hip-hop. And, you know, that's what I thought was the thing to do. And I look back on it now and I think this is a failing of education. And... Not that we have that over there in Nigeria. You just you don't get it over in Nigeria, let alone here. So how do you learn about these kinds of stuff? So when you talk about me now working in a bank, for me, I thought it was going to be impossible. I was poor with money. I didn't have a good credit rating. And I actually turned up to the interview um, in jeans, a t-shirt and a leather jacket. I was so disinterested. I The last thing I wanted to be or the last place I wanted to be was in this interview room with a lady called Jenny Berry. I will never forget this woman because she gave me my start in financial service and I am to this day thankful for her. Regardless of how I turned up and regardless of how disinterested I may have come across and I must have come across in that interview, she saw something in me. She said, my customers are going to love you. I'm going to give you a job. And I heard back maybe a day or two afterwards that I got the job. And in the back of my mind, I thought, I'm never going to get it because they're going to do all the credit checks and they're going to find out that I have that I owe money on checks, that I've bounced checks before, and I have a really poor credit rating and I'll never get the job. But lo and behold, I got the job and I started off, off as a cashier. And in a building society, it's a weird environment. You know, this is back in early 2000s now. People used to come in with their, with their book 
like literally their book and in their book is printed a number and that's how much they have in their account. And I quickly got to learn that when you have money in a building society or a bank, back then you could get really decent interest rates. I mean, I think back then you'd still be able to be in the region of, you know, five, six or 7% interest on a check-in, like notice, de- notice account. It's incredible compared to where we are and where we have been for the last almost well, 11, 11 years, really, 11, 12 years, you could get decent interest. And it was amazing to me to see the difference in the fact that you could put money in a bank and have your money make money. And that's where I started to learn the concept of compound interest. And then beyond that, I started to learn, well, actually, if you don't put the money in a savings account and you gave it to the guy in the back who's the financial advisor, he could put that money somewhere for you. And then you can get more than the five or 6% that you're getting in your check-in or your notice account. And for me, that was mind boggling. I mean, it's the first time I ever came across that concept. And whilst I was still foggy on the nuances of what that actually meant, it opened up my eyes and I quickly became very, very good at explaining to clients the benefits that they could get from seeing a financial advisor and investing in the markets. I used to work out equations. I used to do back then what I later learned in sales to be painting the picture for a client and leading them by their needs. And that is a sales technique, a technique that I, that I was doing way before I even learned it. I would literally calculate and say, look, Mr. Smith, you have 10,000 pounds here. You got 6% this year. However, if you see a financial advisor, some of his clients are getting a 10% return. That's an extra 4,000 pounds in a year. Think about what you could do with that money. That could, that could be your holiday you know, for the year. That could be two holidays for the year. I was doing that back then without really understanding the, in- 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 the nuances, I would say, because I can't say that word. I always struggle with it. The nuances of how investments work. But I started as a cashier and I was very, very good at speaking to the customers. And in my first year, I was third in the country and I wasn't even there for a full year, January to January. I think I was in there for like nine months or so, but I was third in the country in terms of generating business for the financial advisor in terms of referrals. I sent this guy so many clients and this guy's name was Alex Merrick. I actually bumped into him about three, four years ago in another capacity, having worked up through uh, the financial ladder and corporate ladder in finances. So I might come to that a bit later on, but I was third in the country. And because of that, I quickly got promoted into a different role. So I moved very, very quickly from a cashier to a relationship manager. And I quickly moved into corporate banking because I wanted to do something slightly different. And what corporate banking basically taught me is that there are small, medium-sized enterprises that basically borrow money to run businesses. And that's what I was doing there. I was financing vehicles, big pieces of machinery kit for business purposes. And, you know, when the financial crisis did finally hit, that was a really tough time in terms of lending to to businesses, because the banks are very, very, um, how should I put this nicely, uh, rigid in their approach. This is one thing that I've learned about the financial services industry that sits behind the reason why I want to change the way 
we interact with banks. So with a bank, it's very much about guidelines, the rules, how things work. It is very, very rare, especially back then, that they would look outside of their guidelines. And when you look at the financial crash and what happened back then, a lot of companies were underwater. But even despite the fact they were underwater, they still had you know, borrowing needs. They still needed to purchase a van so they could go out and do new business and generate more money to increase their turnover and therefore their profitability. And when you go to a bank to borrow money for a fleet of vans or for one van, the only thing that they're interested in is what your turnover and what your profit has been for the last 24 or 12 months. And if you're showing a loss, and many companies were showing a loss back then with the financial crisis, they simply were not interested. And things have changed slightly now. They're becoming a little bit more fluid in their approach. But back then it was tough. And what that taught me was that finances play a huge part in every single aspect of our lives, be it personally, be it in business. It, pays a, it plays a huge part because even if you run your own business as an entrepreneur, your role in that business is to turn over good money so you can make a profit and you can pay yourself, you can earn a living and live life to the best of your abilities. Design the life that you basically want. You can't do this without money. And that's one thing that I saw quite clearly working in the corporate space. From the corporate space, I was still down in East Sussex and I wanted to progress, but the town that I lived in, a town called Hastings, I still go back there, I still have friends down there. There was no opportunity for me to progress, unless someone died, that was. And looking at my colleagues and looking at the, the, the office that I worked in, no one was going to be dying anytime soon. And I wasn't about to commit murder to progress. So I took the gamble of up in sticks and moving back to London because I'd lived in London before. And I thought, well, it can't be too bad. I'd find a job within two, three, four weeks. No problem whatsoever. And, you know, when I was working in corporate banking, I was pretty comfortable um, in terms of I had a, I was paid relatively good money for, for the job that I was doing. I had a great car. I'd recently just moved in with a friend because I needed to, you know, save some money and, and so on and so forth. I was comfortable for where I was at the time. And when I told people that, you know, I'm going to move to London because I want to, you know, progress and I wanted to work in Canary Wharf, that was always my dream from day one working in financial services. I got the job and thought, well, let's shoot high, aim for the stars. If I miss it, I'm still flying. I wanted to work in Canary Wharf. And I said, look, I'm leaving. I want to I'm going to work in London and I want to work in Canary Wharf, preferably. I got a job and my first job that I got there was a dodgy one. And I will share this with you because I see this so often even now. It has morphed, it has changed, it has adapted to the times, but it is still just a dodgy one. And back then I did not know any better, but I, my first job was as a broker. And guess what I was selling? I was selling carbon credits. Carbon credits, ladies and gentlemen. And to think of it now, I struggle to understand how I got roped into this. And I like to think that I'm a smart guy, but when you go for interviews and you watch movies and you look at the image of stockbrokers, 
they embodied the image of what I thought a stockbroker was at that time. And I up sticks, I went and I really went for it. It was only when I started the job that I started to realize, well, actually, you know what? There isn't something, something wasn't quite right here. These guys were earning inordinate amount of money. Some guys were earning five, 10 grand a week. And when you really start to ask the question of how do you make five, 10 grand a week, you then start getting very vague answers that can't be qualified or justified. And I think I lasted in this job for about three weeks. I started to ask questions and dig and I started to irritate a few people. And I said to my, to the guys that I started with, I said, this isn't right. How can we, how can we as a proposition say, if you invest 10,000 pounds with us, we can give you a return of 10%. And this is going to sound familiar to a lot of you on social media right now. How can you invest 10? How can we invest 10,000 pounds for our client, promise them 10% in a year's time. And the minute the money arrives with us, we are taking 2,000 pounds, 3,000 pounds in commission straight away. And nobody could answer that question with a detailed, legitimate answer. And I lasted three weeks in that job because I quickly realized it was an utter scam. And I should have learned and I should have known that it was a scam the minute they started to talk about carbon credits. But back then, I didn't know what a carbon credit was. And it sounds preposterous now. The sales pitch was, you know, this is at the beginning of people try green energy, so on and so forth, trying to reduce the carbon greenhouse, green gas ha, greenhouse gases, and so on and so forth. And they talked about, well, actually, we buy credits from an exchange in Brussels. It is completely and utterly nonsense. I mean, I listen to that now, and I can't believe that I fell for it, but I did back then because I didn't know any better. But I always wanted to work in Canary Wharf. Directly after finishing that job, I literally was living on an overdraft the entire time. It took me about two months after that job to get, to get another job, which was the job that took me into wealth management. And it was my dream job. It was the job in my dream place. It was in Canary Wharf. And I will never forget the day that I got the call from the recruitment agent, a guy called Jason Weber. And he rang me. He goes, I've seen your CV online. And I think I've got a job for you. It's not too far from where you live right now. You'll be great for this company. I said, where is it? He goes, Canary Wharf. I said, which building? He went the one Canada Square, the one with the pointy top on the 50th floor. And you do not understand the amount of times that I walked around Canary Wharf, sat there in an afternoon and just observed people work, walk through the shopping center and the, and the underground um, station looking just like they're living life, you know, like they've made it. And it was always a thing for me that if I make it to Canary Wharf, that I've made it, that I'm set. That was my goal. And lo and behold, I got the job in Canary Wharf and I was there in that business for five years, an American company called MetLife. And that is where I started to gain experience in what actually happens when you start to invest money? What actually happens when you talk about pension funds and annuities? 
Annuity was a term that I that I'd heard so many times when I was, you know, working in retail banking and corporate banking, but I never knew what it was. I really got an understanding of what that term actually meant, what investing actually meant, what a pension actually meant to somebody. And up until that point, I had no idea. And this is where I find myself extremely lucky to have the knowledge that I have right now because of my career in financial services. So if you fast forward to today, I still work in wealth management. I took my qualifications as a financial advisor back in 2012. I've advised clients on pensions, investments, on a number of things in the past, on protection, on mortgages. I'm also mortgage qualified. And one thing that I have noticed is what I mentioned earlier. All of the wealth management businesses here in the UK are focusing on the baby boomers. They are the guys who have money. They are the guys that they're interested in. What they fail to understand is that the guys who are aged between 25 and 45 years old are now earning more money than any generation prior. And it is this same age group that are going to be the recipients of the great wealth transfer that is happening right now and will escalate in the next 10 to 15 years to a tune of 1.4 trillion pounds. Let me just say that number again because it's a big number 1.4 trillion pounds so if you are aged between 25 to 45 year old years old you are likely going to be a recipient of some kind of inheritance and if your family's financial advisor has not been speaking to you up until this point guess what when the inevitable happens and you are due to be the recipient of your inheritance they will be knocking on your door expecting you to trust them with your money, despite the fact that they've left you to your own devices without any education, without any interaction whatsoever. The banks are slowly waking up to this, but they're not doing it quick enough. And what they're leaving behind is a generation of people who are simply just struggling with the basics around money management the basics around how to plan for the future. And that's not to say that this generation are kind of bringing this on themselves. Absolutely not. The information isn't being provided. It's not being provided in school. If you're not from a rich or wealthy background, you're certainly probably not getting it from home. And the first interaction that most people will have with a bank is when they're looking for their first credit card as a student and they will happily sell you that credit card. I know that because I was that guy doing the student credit card applications. And the only thing that bank says that we have to highlight to a student taking out a new credit card is the fact that they have to make the minimum payment. They don't explain explicitly that by, take, by paying the minimum payment, all you're doing is paying the interest. Further to this point, they are not interested in providing any of this basic education. They do not want to spend their resources on it. They do not see the return on investment. And therefore, they're happy to do what they're doing right now. Service the baby boomers, knowing fully well that that wealth transfer is going to happen. And they're automatically going to assume that you will trust them with their wealth with your wealth, I should say. And this is where I come in because I am certainly within this age group of 25 
245. I'm 40 years old. I've had a 15-year career in financial services. And I have noticed when I was advising, one of the first things that I said is I want to get into the younger generation and help people build for the future. I was told you're not going to get rich doing that. And so last year, I started Conversation of Money. With all of this in the back of my mind, knowing that there is a vacuum here of reliable information that can be delivered in a simple, easy to digest, jargon-free manner that people within this age group can follow. And that was last year. Last year, if you followed me on Instagram, it was all very much random. It was a load of daily videos, 60 seconds, given a load of tips. This year, I focused on providing more of a structured program, hence why we have 52 financial tips for 2020. And the aim of this program is simply to help you be better with money, starting from the basics, starting with setting financial goals, starting with understanding what you have coming in, what you have going out, starting with budgeting, starting with talking about attacking debt, improving your credit scores, building an emergency fund, being able to cope with unexpected expenses and a whole host of other subjects that we are going to get into. We are only about 10 weeks in right now. We've got 42 tips still to come through the, yet, through the rest of this year. There is so much value that I want to be able to deliver to you guys, not in exchange for money and not in exchange for anything really, apart from your attention and your participation in the content that I am providing. In addition to this podcast, I have videos that go up on YouTube. I have the Instagram account, but I also have a free community as well where I'm you know, basically building a community of people aged between 25 and 45 years old who want to pick up these tips. And in that community, there are written articles, there's a video, and often I will provide exercises that people have to do, free guides that people can download and learn a little bit more about finances. This is basically an accumulation of everything that I've learned over the last 15 years and an accumulation of everything that I continue to learn in my career right now that I'm giving to my age group, my peers, you for free because I want to change the way we interact with financial services and financial service providers. Gone are the days where we can be ignored. Gone are the days where we no longer have the power of information. Gone are the days where you don't know where to go. It's Google, and then you've got to make sense of what you're seeing in Google, and there's just so much there. I want to be able to provide a platform where you will be able to be guided on anything that you wanted to do financially. And this is only the beginning of what I hope to achieve here. So what is my aim? My aim is to change lives. My aim is to empower people. My aim is to give people the start that I never had from a financial education point of view and help people not make the mistakes that I made when I was earning good money and frankly, just spunking it up the wall. I've made a load of mistakes And I think that the more that I can share my knowledge and my experience, the more I can help people like me, certainly from my own background, to not make those mistakes. What do I hope you are going to get from this? 
I hope that you feel empowered. I hope that you get the information that will help you get on the property ladder, that will help you get out of debt, that will help you build healthy financial habits, that will help you feel more comfortable in your finances. I am a firm believer in the notion that money is a tool. And on my videos, if you watch them, my, 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 my strap line on some of the intros of this video is because money is a tool. And that's exactly what it is. The biggest mistake that I've made in the past when I was making a load of money in Canary Wharf was not treating it as such. I treated it like commodity. So I'd make a load of money. I would instantly go and spend this money on stupid stuff. I mean, I spent a thousand pounds on a pair of trainers before. I've spent, well, on my collection of trainers, probably in the region of four to 5,000 pounds. I went out and bought a car and put 10,000 pounds down as a deposit. And whilst I was earning good money at that time, I understand and realize now that I could have used that money for something much, much better that wouldn't have depreciated in value. So these are the things that I hope to be able to convey to you guys, to give you the footing, the foundations to have a sound financial base that can then lead on to things like investing. If you're on social media right now, investing is all of the rage, but it's important that you get the basics down. And what this really is all about is about designing your life. This is what this is about, designing your life. Money is a tool to help you do that, to pop up life and help it move smoothly. That's all money is. Yes, there is a difference between having lots of it and having none of it, but there is certainly too much focus now on the number when it comes to money. And my partner, Ilona, will clap when she hears this because in the past, even up until probably about two, three years ago, I was all about the money. And what you realize is when you make a lot of money, you realize that you can have the money sat in the bank, but unless you are truly happy and you are leading a life that is truly fulfilled because you have goals, you have aspirations, you have a purpose for that money, it doesn't really mean much. So these are the foundations. These are the things that I hope that you will get from this podcast, from the community, from listening to me. And that is my goal for 2020 and beyond. I will, I strongly encourage, and I really do hope that you guys join the community. If you find me on conversationofmoney.com, there is a link to the community under the individual section. Alternatively, you can find me on Instagram at conversationofmoney, and there is a link to join the community in my bio. It is completely free. All I ask is your participation, your attention, and your engagement simple and listening to the podcast on the go and giving me a follow so that you don't miss out on any other tips that are coming later on this year. I know that I've spoken for a while, but I wanted to give you guys an introduction to what to expect from this podcast from me and hopefully give you an insight as to why I'm doing this. Um, there are lots of con artists out here. There are lots of people who talk the game, but ultimately are only there because they have ulterior motives. I come from a background where I didn't have much. I'm lucky enough now where I am comfortable. I have a successful career and I just want to see people do well. So I hope you've gained some insights from this episode of the podcast. 
I really appreciate your time. I look forward to sharing some more with you in the coming weeks. There will be additional episodes to the podcast um, outside of the weekly tips that I'm going to be delivering on the 52-week program. In fact, I am going to get some of my ex-colleagues from Kenei Wharf to um, have conversations with me. Those will be called The Conversations where we're going to talk about people's journeys in life so that you can see that regardless of your background, regardless of where you come from, that you can make it no matter what you're facing. And, you know, the idea of success and financial freedom is defined by you. And hopefully via the conversations, we'll, I'll be able to illustrate that to you guys. But thank you so much for listening. I look forward to sharing some more with you in future episodes. See you guys and hear from you guys hopefully soon. Bye. Another great episode down, but our journey together doesn't have to end here. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast on whatever app you're listening on right now. And please don't forget to give us a good rating. That would mean the world to me. If you feel connected to the podcast and you found value in the episode that you've listened to today, join our free community where you will find free resources and more in-depth content on all things finance and money and you will also find a community where you'll be supported by people who are on a similar journey to you links to our free community can be found on our website conversationofmoney.com or on our instagram at conversation of money thank you for listening thank you for being here again it means the world to me i'm your host peter until next week take care